Welcome to Santa Fe College. This is Vilma Fuentes with our podcast on developing global citizens. Today, we're here to celebrate the resumption of study abroad and the introduction of several new programs. We are joined by two of the faculty members who will be leading these programs, Dr. Leslie Rios, a microbiology professor, and Dr. Jason McCombs, a religion professor. Um, their insights will be complemented by uh, two former Santa Fe students, Alec Kissendile and Chantel Hover. So welcome to all of you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. So Dr. Rios, Leslie, um, let me start with you. Tell me a little bit about your academic background. What, what did you study? What international experiences did you have before coming to Santa Fe? Mm -hmm. Before Santa Fe, I was a biology professor. Uh, I did um, entomology and uh, did research in uh, viruses. So I studied, uh, I was actually at the Centers for Disease Control during the H1N1 in 2009. So there was a pandemic before this one. Um, and then I uh, have some international experience traveling to Belize, which is where I do the current study abroad. And I also lived in Mexico for a year. Um, so why, why Belize? Tell me about the program that you've put together. What, you know, why Belize and what is it that you do there with students? What's the focus? Yeah, Belize really stands out as an excellent location for a study abroad. One simple thing is that it's, uh, they speak English, so um, it helps with an, any intimidation factor. Or if somebody doesn't ha have a second language, then that's not a barrier to being able to participate. Um, it's a really fascinating ecology with uh, things that are pretty similar to Florida in some ways, but also really stand out as unique and on their own. And so it's a really great opportunity for students if they're interested in something like mangrove ecology or water quality. Uh, they can really have an excellent comparison between what's right here in our own state and then what's just a little bit further down in the Caribbean. Um, and what we do is we do a focus uh, where students can choose to do something in ecology or they can also do uh, a straight microbiology. We do water uh, quality samples where we have these little containers that we take down and the students will collect water from various locations. Um, they can do it from wells. I mean, they've even taken them from puddles, uh, from the ocean, uh, from areas where there's some agricultural runoff. And uh, the tests are really nice because they're portable, convenient uh, ways to look for E. coli contamination in the water. And so they can do their independent research projects and choose uh, what they want to do uh, as they go. So all of the students are doing the same activities and then students will decide what things that they want to focus on. Um, one woman was interested in doing um, something with vet, uh, be, to be a vet, veterinarian and so what she did is she interviewed the uh, people that take the dogs in on the island, the Belize Island dogs, and uh, she got to get all this information and it was really, really rewarding for her to uh, get to see the way that other countries are dealing with overpopulation of animals. So even though the title is a microbiology study abroad, um, there's really a lot of opportunity for students to pursue something that they're specifically interested in. So it can be really tailored. So is it necessary for students to go to Belize? Like, can't they do all of this research here in Florida? Uh, what's the benefit to going abroad? Yeah, that's a great question because um, part of it is just a parallel of what things could be different between Florida and Belize, and that's on the scientific level. But then when you add the element of all of the cultural enrichment that people will get by hearing people speak Creole, by 
uh, interacting with a group that is different from what American population looks like. And um, of course, the food is always a selling point. Whenever you travel abroad, you're going to be exposed to some of the most delicious food that you've ever tasted. So that's a, maybe a reason enough to, to go. So it sounds like it's a, it, the program to Belize might be a gentle introduction to like international travel in that similar perhaps in climate to Florida, it's English speaking, we've got Caribbean connections, and yet it's not Florida, right? It's different enough that you know you're in another country. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Dr. McCombs. Jason, um, you've been thinking about starting a new study abroad program for quite a long time. That's I think true. you and I have been engaged in this back and forth conversation for three years, four years, four I think. Four years, yeah. Um, so before you tell me about your program, uh, tell me a little bit about your background. What what did you study and, and what exposure have you had to international travel, before, certainly before coming to Santa Fe? Sure. So my academic background is in religious studies and Asian studies. My, my PhD is, the department was Asian languages and cultures. And my research background is on India, uh, specifically Buddhism in ancient India. So I and Buddhism more or less has been dead in India for about eight centuries. So I, I study ancient periods. I read a bunch of dead languages, which most people find <laughs> unusual. Uh, I translate texts from a language called Sanskrit, uh, one's called classical Tibetan and one's called Pali. Wow. And I also look at material remains, what are called inscriptions, because I study religious donations. So if you go to India, you can see these literally carved into stone. Um, so, so that's my research background. But you're proposing a study abroad program to Japan. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so I mean, my, my heart is really in India, but India presents a lot of challenges, I think, to new travelers. And one of my best friends is a Japanese scholar, and we went to graduate school together, and he currently lives in and works at a university in Kyushu, which is the southernmost uh, island in Japan. So we've been talking about this, taking my students on a study abroad trip and hooking up with him at his university for a long time. So, um, so to clarify, you're going to Japan and say not India, not China, not other parts of East Asia. Why? Because you think it's I mean, easier? Uh, well, it is. Uh, it does have easy travel amenities, I think, that makes it somewhat simpler. Um, but also, I mean, every place in Asia is a fascinating culture. Yeah. So if I could, I would lead study abroad trips to every place in Asia. So Japan is where we're starting. I know that what I hear, certainly from my children and their peers, is that you know most of them have been exposed to something in Japan, be it sushi at Publix, or Japanese anime, or Japanese something. Right. There's already an seems to be a natural interest among many of our students. It's true. There, there's a huge sort of Japanophilia among <laughs> young yeah. people that's yeah. been going on. It was going on when I was in graduate school. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm too old. I I don't totally understand it, but when you say the word Japan, young people in the United States, their yeah. eyes light up. Um, so the study abroad trip that not just I'm leading, but we are leading because I'm leading with Professor Thomas Maple, 
Um, and his class that he's offering is on mass media studies, which includes anime. So we, we know this is a draw for many American students. So we're intentionally trying to use that as, as leverage to get students interested in study abroad. One thing I do know is um, there are many countries in the world that aren't, uh, are very difficult, certainly for students that have disabilities or physical impairments. Uh, Japan is, is very friendly for people with those kinds of challenges. Very, very friendly. Some parts of, the, of Japan seem to be even more progressive than the U.S. I, I would say considerably more progressive than yeah. the U.S. Their, their infrastructure is... Uh, more heavily invested in than United States infrastructure. Uh, I, I've had the privilege of being in, in Tokyo once, and I know I instantly knew the difference the minute I got off the plane and used the bathroom in the airport. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch Cars the movie and look at the scene when the little cars are using the bathroom. At least that's what my kids tell me to do. Um, Sorry, digress. I'm being silly here. It's okay. But Japanese toilets are very advanced. <laughs> they are. They, we feel like we're prehistoric. But um, but you're studying. So what are, what religions are you going to study in Japan? So the 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 main two Japanese religions are Buddhism and Shinto. And in addition to that, there's a there's a host of what we call new religions that probably in Japan are flourishing more than anywhere else in the world. But, but the, so the trip is split into mass media studies and religious studies, and there's sort of a blending of old and new. So Professor Maple is in charge of the new, like, uh, Japanese media, anime, manga, and um, so we, we start in Tokyo, and then we go to Kyoto. And outside of Kyoto is the city of Nara, which was the original imperial capital of Japan. So I'm in charge of the old. So we go from the most vibrant, modern, city to the ancient capital of Japan. So uh, it should be an exciting trip. So so to answer your question, the short is Buddhism and Shinto. So we will be visiting many Japanese temples and Shinto shrines. And you'll also be going to Fukuoka? It starts with an F, so Fukuoka. Uh, sorry, Fukuoka. Yeah, sorry, so we go from uh, Tokyo to Kyoto with Nara and then further south to Fukuoka. And Fukuoka is where my good friend and uh, colleague works. Wonderful. And you'll be visiting his institution? Yeah, so he actually specializes in Japanese religious sites, uh, especially mountain religion. So we're hoping to go to his university and he's going to give a talk on all the places that we've visited, some of their historical background. How exciting. Uh, this is really interesting. Um, um, maybe I'll tag along somehow. I don't know. We'll see. But let me turn to some of um, our students, or actually they're not students anymore. They're now our graduates to hear about some of their experiences. Um, so first, I'd like to invite Alec Kissendile to talk to us. Um, Alec, you, you graduated from Santa Fe in 2020, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Right in the middle of, of COVID. So it was a unique experience <laughs> for sure. You went all virtual at the very end. Um, yes. But I think before that happened, before the pandemic, you were able to participate in one or two study abroad programs. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, so in the summer of 2019, I participated in the Sweden and Denmark study abroad program. 
and then in February of 2020, so right before everything kind of shut down, uh, I was lucky enough to to go to Jamaica and experience that. And those, those were wonderful experiences for sure. Okay. So you did this twice. So tell me about the Sweden and Denmark program. What was what class were you enrolled in? What was the focus of that? So that was a sociology course, um, and so uh, I'm not a sociology major, uh, but. I, Sweden and Denmark was just such a unique opportunity. And I, I was just thinking to myself, well, when am I ever going to get to do this again? Um, and it, you know, it still ties into to education. I think I still got like a general education credit, credit. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it all worked out. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just wonderful. I, I mostly chose it because it was, uh, you know, again, it's just something you don't really hear often about people going to Sweden and Denmark. And I was like, well, they got to do it now. So uh, yeah, that, that kind of influenced my choice for that. What did you learn? Uh, you know, it gave me a perspective. I think that was the the biggest thing about that trip. Um, I haven't, I had never been to, to, to Europe before. And so you know, going there and experiencing a different culture, but also seeing how other people perceive the United States was quite interesting. And I feel like it's, it's so easy um, to, if, if you're, if you're, in the middle of, of a culture, you, you don't really get to see the full picture, right? You need to, to step outside of it to really get perspective. And, and so that was really cool to, to kind of see what other, you know, see what what uh, people in Sweden and Denmark do differently culturally and, and you know, how how there are still similarities and differences and to see, you know, wh- where where those lie, what those those lines are. Um, and that was, that was fascinating. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of the my fellow students that I that I was on the trip with, um, I still am in frequent communication with them, and I mean that was lovely too. Just to know that that like there was long term relationships and friendships that, that came out of that trip, not only abroad but also just when you come back to the United States, you still have a sort of a support network with those same people. And wasn't that program also focused on marriage and family relations? It was. It was. It was more broad than that, though. So primarily, it was. It was marriage and family. But um, I actually did my final project for that class uh, on uh, disabilities, and and how uh, how people with special needs are are kind of uh, are treated or are the accommodations um, that these countries have for them uh, have for people with special needs. And so uh, that was that was interesting. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was just kind of. A, I, I felt it would be good to take it in that direction and. Uh, uh, you know, Doug was was on board with that. And, uh, so that's yeah. Professor Doug Deco. And mm-hmm. um, Alec, so you, the, as part of your program to Sweden and Denmark, you went to uh, Orebro, I believe it's called, which uh, is is the like the capital of the deaf in Sweden. Uh, what did you see there that was different, that was new, at least compared to what you had seen in the United States? Well, so it's interesting. Uh, we went to a uh, essentially at like a high school over there. We spent a lot of time uh, at this high school in Orebro interacting with the students. Uh, one of the students, he wasn't deaf, but both of his parents were. And so speaking with him was very interesting because he had a, a different perspective on, on the world because of that. Um, you know, he, he kind of learned to be an interesting, like more active listener and more perceptive of, of what was going on uh, around him. Um, but I also have a sibling with special needs. And so we kind of connected there. There was still that 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 solidarity, um, just kind of having those those experiences. And even though um, our experiences are different, it was just still kind of that understanding 
Um, Michelle Freeze also, um, I was kind of really unique to see her uh, be in that environment too. I mean, you know, she she teaches sign language and, and she's she's just like a wonderful, wonderful person. So to kind of get to see her uh, talk more about that and interact with that student was also really fascinating. Um, did, yeah. did you, how did you communicate with this student and others? Did you communicate in Swedish or like sign language or did you use a translator? So English is the bridge, the bridge language. Every, everyone I really talked to over there uh, knew English I, better than I do, honestly. And I'm an English major, so I'm a little ashamed to say. Uh, but, but um, yeah, I mean, there, there was no real uh, language barrier there. And, and you, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that was surprising, right? You, you, you know, you kind of, you, you go to a foreign country and you kind of think, oh no, like, how am I going to, going to communicate? But with, uh, uh, with Sweden and Denmark, and as, as you learn from a lot of other, uh, uh, countries as well. I mean, there's that 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 English is kind of the bridge. It's 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 you know people use it as like a business language, as kind of a trade language. So there's that connection there, and it, it made things pretty easy to to, to um, interact with people. Um, so I want to know. You said that you went to Sweden, Denmark, and Jamaica back mm -hmm. to back, right? Where did you get all this money? Did your parents pay for it? How how were you able to afford these trips? So uh, I'm very fortunate to be uh, a Gainesville local. So while I'm going to school, I'm at UF right now. Um, and but even when I was at Santa Fe, I was fortunate enough to stay at home and live with my family. Uh, and so I, I paid for uh, my trips. However, I was able to do that in large part because I was able to, you know, avoid bills that other people would would normally have to pay. So for example, I don't really have to pay rent. So a lot of the money that I make from my job doesn't really immediately kind of go right back out. So I was able to, to save up in that regard and, and plan ahead um, for several months. And so when those those trips came up, uh, that that's that really contributed to to being able to pay for it. I also, especially with the Jamaica trip, I, I kind of looked at, at the price. And so I believe the Jamaica trip's one of the one of the cheapest study abroad, which does not <laughs> it's not uh, it doesn't impact the quality of the trip. It was a lovely trip, but I was thinking about that too. I was like, okay, well, you know, what can I afford? Right. And, um, you know, how much am I willing to pay? And, and so that, that also uh, influenced my choices. Chantal, so let me turn to you. Uh, what were your experiences with study abroad while you were at Santa Fe? Sure. Um, I'll give you just kind of a little snippet of my, my travels. And I think the biggest thing I gained from each one. These are all aspects of a study abroad trip, but I think that each trip was unique in what really like stood out and helped in my kind of professional and academic development. So I also went to Sweden. I went to Sweden first. It was the least expensive trip and that was a, a, a important thing for me. And I think from Sweden, I really, really was able to connect with students and faculty in the country. Um, as Alec had mentioned about his trip, and those students are students who I have seen both in Sweden and in the United States since and have deep connections with to this day, which is just amazing. Um, I went to Jamaica, and in Jamaica, I think my biggest takeaway was the connections I made with the professors that led the trip. Um, I developed a really deep bond that exists to this day when I look for, you know, recommendation letters for different colleges and programs. Um, I know I can turn to them and they they know about my studies. They know about my academic development. They can speak to it and that is invaluable. Um, and then I also traveled to Ukraine and that trip completely altered the course of my studies. 
Um, it completely changed my outlook at what region I wanted to pursue within my degree um, and, and just really made me reevaluate academically what I wanted to do. So what did you, so what did you do? What, what did you end up studying? Um, how did you change after Ukraine? Sure. So Ukraine was a really interesting trip and obviously it's a relevant topic right now with what's going on. But I mean, I went in 2019 and some people don't realize that there was tension way before the war that's happening right now. So in 2019, there were kind of safety protocols and like figuring out where in Ukraine we would go. Um, and if you do a little bit of more research, you'll know, you know, that Russia took Crimea in 2014. So there's a longstanding uh, amount of tension between Ukraine and Russia, not just between the last couple of decades, but over, um, honestly, centuries. So I was a political science major at Santa Fe, and I knew that I liked political science. I knew that I liked international relations. I wasn't really sure beyond that. I mean, I was getting my AA, right? You're at kind of the very beginning of just figuring out what you want to focus on. Like political science and international relations is kind of enough. But as I learned about Ukraine, um, my trip, I really, really delved into the research for a variety of reasons. And so I, I just learned so much about the history, about the politics, um, about the, the power dynamics, et cetera. And then I went to Ukraine and I got to meet people who lived there. And then I saw all of this research put into the kind of social norms and dynamics of day-to-day -day life. And so when I came back, um, I realized I was really, really interested in pursuing what I had learned. So this was less than a year before I graduated Santa Fe. And so upon graduation, I ended up transferring to Columbia University in New York and I received a bachelor's in political science with a concentration in Slavic studies. So the majority of my political science classes were about politics in Russia and Ukraine, contemporary history between the two countries um, and the Russian language. And if I'm not mistaken, I think when you were at Santa Fe, you were studying Spanish, weren't you? <laughs> I did. Santa Fe, um, I, you have to have your language requirement. Right. So I love Cuban and Venezuelan food <laughs> and Spanish was the, was a language option. And so that was my that was my path there. OK, but but you went to Colombia and then what did you study, Russian or Ukrainian? Um, so I initially studied Ukrainian and then I ended up transferring to Russian for a variety of reasons. One of which being while I can definitely sympathize and resonate with the, the pride of the Ukrainian people um, in preserving their language. Um, for my studies in post-Soviet countries, Russian is the bridge language for all. Um, and so studying Ukrainian, you're really um, kind of pigeonholed only in Ukraine, whereas with Russian, um, the majority of Ukrainians speak Russian, the majority of Russians speak Russian, and the post-Soviet states most still speak Russian. So so I'm going to ask, and this might sound a bit personal. It is personal, but like, how did you afford this? Like, so you were like addicted to traveling abroad. It sounds like maybe not unlike Alec, you went to three different locations and now Columbia, that's a fairly expensive private school. Uh, how did you afford all of this? Yeah, I know it sounds like, like I was just able to make it all happen. Um, but I mean, I'm a Pell Grant recipient, right? I was a part-time student at Santa Fe. It took me four and a half years to get my associate's degree because I worked a minimum of two jobs while 
um, going to classes. Um, and so finances were always at the top of my mind, but I prioritized traveling and I'm really glad that I did. Um, and that sounds very cookie cutter, like, oh, well, I prioritize traveling too, but that doesn't get me a plane ticket. Um, so I had two different ways that I approached uh, funding my study abroad trips. So with Sweden, I knew I just wanted to get out. And so I honestly chose the least expensive program that was available and, at that year, and that year with Sweden. Um, I was working two retail jobs at the time. And in retail, it sounds a little bit corny, but when you work in retail, you oftentimes have sales goals, right? And you'll have a sales goal of say, you know, $10,000 by the end of the month. And each day as you make a little bit of profit, you take a red marker and there's like a picture of a thermometer, right? And you color up that thermometer until you reach your goal. Well, I, I took that <laughs> process of what I do at work and I applied it to my study abroad trip. But this time I used a uh, piece of graph paper and the Sweden flag is really easy. It's just a sideways cross on a rectangle. And each paycheck, I would stow away anything from 20 to $110, depending on um, what I could afford to stow away at that paycheck. Um, and then I would use the um, Sweden flag as my graph. And I would color it up and up until I had colored in the entire flag. And so it can seem kind of elementary or childish, but having that kind of visual representation of your savings um, and a continual reminder of what those savings are there for, make it really easy not to pull from it later for like a dinner out or something like that. Did either one of you receive scholarships to travel abroad? I did not. I received a study abroad scholarship for Jamaica, I believe. Um, and so that helped offset the cost. And my Ukraine trip, the flight um, and some amenities were funded um, through a grant, which is something that I highly recommend too. Um, I went to your office, Dr. Fuentes, and I highly recommend going to the um, Office for International Education because beyond study abroad, study abroad is amazing and you should do it for so many reasons, but there are options for finding third party scholarships and things like that for going abroad. And so even if you're studying abroad, I highly recommend looking for those third party scholarships and not just looking at, you know, your institution. So let me ask all of you this question. Um, Santa Fe College, what we offer is short term faculty led programs. These aren't semester long programs. Students are able to travel with faculty members for, for a few weeks. Um, is it worth it? It sounds like an awful lot of effort. I mean, is it worth it or for the faculty? Is it enough? You know, you take somebody to Japan for a couple of weeks. Is that enough? Uh, how, how I, mean, I, think the, I think the idea is they're getting their feet wet, right? right. To, to spur interest in other cultures and to give them the eternal travel bug for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I think also we just pack it in. We don't we don't stop um, from the moment they hit the ground to the moment they get back on the plane home. We are doing something um, amazing every day. And if it's okay, I'd like to actually go back to the question of what can we do in Belize that we haven't done in Florida. I can't believe I left out the Mayan ruins and <laughs> you know Mayan culture. You, the first day we get there in, we're resting and um, we get a, a homemade family dinner with the host. 
uh, that first night. So that's amazing, right? You're eating authentic food. And then the very next day, we get to visit the Lamini Ruins. And uh, this year, we have also a visit to one of the most amazing caves. It's called the ATM. It's Aktun Tunak Muknal. And it's, uh, you have to swim to get into the cave. You actually have to swim into the cave. So um, is it worth it? Absolutely. <laughs> and I'll add on to that, since I teach religious studies, teaching religion in a four-walled classroom always has some sort of artificial nature to it. I mean, you, you do your best in the humanities to bring the world inside the room. But when you actually go out into the world, even when I take students in uh, to religious services in Gainesville, it's just an entirely different way to look at people, culture, to, to actually immerse yourselves in it. Um, and Chantelle and Alec, what would you add? Is this enough, these short-term programs? Yeah, I think that um, both of our study abroad leaders here encapsulated perfectly why it's worth it. But I also think that this is kind of the crux or the point of this whole session, right, is to is to explore and figure out the point of these study abroad programs and if they're worth it. And a million percent, yes. Um, I think that it, there's so many kind of initiatives that we try to push off for later and say that you know, it doesn't work right now. Let me do it another time. Um, I'll be able to do it, you know, when I'm settled with my comfortable nine to five job and 401k or what have you. Um, but life very rarely goes as planned. Um, as we can see from the, if you had pushed it off till next year, how the pandemic, right, might have changed your study abroad plans. Um, for me, transferring to Columbia, it was an academic culture shock. Um, the study abroad programs were far, far more expensive. And so there was absolutely no way, uh, even with third party scholarships, I was going to be able to afford a trip here. Um, and so I wouldn't have been able to do that, right? And then even looking forward, now I've graduated and I'm working. I mean, your jobs generally give you a set amount of vacation time. And that vacation time gets eaten up by, you know, a friend here who's getting married, uh, you know, a small staycation over here. Um, a doctor's appointment or an illness, you know, like that can get eaten up so quickly. And you see, we just heard, right, how passionate these study abroad leaders are about their trips. That is what it is like the entire time that you're there. And if you try to plan a trip on your own later, one, I can guarantee from the two trips I went on that those trips would be way more expensive. Um, the two like study abroad led trips that I went on, they would be far more expensive. Um, than if I had gone on my own. And two, it is so much more isolating to try to plan and do all of it yourself. Um, when you are trying to plan these trips later, it's rare that you're gonna have the connections, the pathways, the setup, the, the academic immersion on top of cultural immersion that you have in a study abroad program. So in this case, there's really no time like the present. Thank you so much, uh, all of you, for sharing your experiences. This is really um, exciting, enriching, and you all have very powerful stories. I just want to add that Santa Fe College faculty will be leading nine short-term study abroad programs in the spring and summer of next year. Um, the, these faculty members have extensive subject matter experience, knowledge of the area, uh, and in some cases, foreign language expertise uh, to ensure the safety and well-being of everyone. And then thanks to the generous support of several private donors, we anticipate awarding 30 study abroad scholarships 
um, all ranging in price from uh, or r from $1,250 to $2,000. So won't pay for the full cost of study abroad, but will reduce the cost significantly for some and make it feasible. Thank you all for sharing your insights and experiences. Um, I hope your stories will help a new generation of students experience the power of study abroad.